la 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 I've been so many places, done so many things, spent all my time searching for the perfect song to sing, and now I'm so much older, I finally got it right, and I realize that that song is my life. I'm growing stronger, so much wiser, won't you please listen to my song? There is no way I could ever turn back now Won't you please listen to my song La 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 Welcome back to Nelloscope. I am your man, Chris Nella, Nella Nation. It is season finale time. Season two. Guys, I have a fantastic show for you today. I'd like to send a congratulations to our president-elect Joe Biden and our vice president Kamala Harris. I am so glad you guys actually won it. It is time for us to begin the healing. So now that we have the congratulations out of the way, let's talk about the format of the season finale. Season two, guys. Wow, I'm blown away. Season two. So you've been rocking with me for two full seasons. And boy, do I have the season finale of all podcast season finales. On this episode, I have my mentor, Karen Marie Mason. That's right. Uncut, unfiltered, uncensored. This is where every creative, whatever you do, if it's in a creative nature, this is the podcast for you. Share it, listen to it, get what you need from it, because this will be an experience. I I dare to say this will be a life changing podcast for you. So let me just talk about the format for today. Today, we're going to have, of course, that hot indie fire. Then we're going to have the interview with Cameron Marie Mason and a moments to be inspired by. But before we get into anything, turn the kitchen timer off, put on those gloves, open up the oven, and it is time to get some of this hot steaming indie fire. Today's selection comes from Through the Stages, Volume 1. The song is entitled Here by an artist from Atlanta by the name of Tin. The song is here. Through the Stages, Volume 1 is available for streaming or downloading on all of your favorite music platforms. But you heard it first here on Nelloscope the Podcast. This is Here by Tin from Through the Stages, Volume 1 on Nelloscope. Enjoy. Yes. Yeah. 
that is a powerful song since we're rebuilding i thought that song was a perfect addition to today's episode again that song was here by 10 from the through the stages volume one compilation and as promised guys wow <laughs> this means the world to me again this is my mentor miss karen marie mason she's going to be on the show being interviewed uncut uncensored doing exactly what she do and as i said earlier this will be a life-changing podcast for some of you so keep listening get you a pen get you a pad put your thinking cap on because it's time for the interview of all interviews so i'll just start off the interview like this royalty the definition of royalty is an elite class the term gets thrown around so much these days but if there was ever an individual that deserves the title of royalty it would be karen marie mason an elite class it's the perfect way to affectionately describe auntie as i call her i first met karen a while back through the advancements of social media I remember seeing her drop pearls of wisdom as easy as penny candy. That is who Karen is, was, and will always be. A provider of knowledge, a beacon of hope, and a blinding light for self-empowerment. She is an educator and a wayfinder to your best true self. Nella Nation, world, without further ado. I present the wisdom of Karen Marie Mason. Wow, what an introduction. I feel like if I was a lawyer and we were in the courtroom, I'd be like, I rest my case after an introduction like that. <laughs> I am well, so that, that grateful. Is, <laughs> well, that is actually the truth. And I know I told you it wasn't going to be in a shock, but that is my prologue to the book that I'm dedicating to you and uh, creating for KarenMarieMason.com. That's actually some of the prologue. That's just a little snippet. Oh, you're going to make me cry, Nella. I'm sorry. I'm, well, I apologize. I apologize. You mean the world to me and to so many other people. Um, and when, I, when I'm finished with it, all, pre all, all proceeds will go to KarenMarieMason.com and everything that she stands for and everything she has established. Thank you so much. Thank you. No, no Karen, when I say this, I say this with a wholehearted thank you. Thank you. Because when you, when you found me, I, well, when I found you, I was literally lost. And with your way of empowerment, I was able to successfully create three international singles wow. to gain an internet presence. Yeah. Uh, I started an international podcast yeah. all through everything that you taught me and all the space that you give me. I'm trying to I'm trying to keep talking so I won't cry. But <laughs> I, 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 but I feel that 
it's one of those things like like kids when you find a, a good thing or a good candy you think that everybody in the world should be treated to this Karen Butty. I think that, <laughs> I think that every in the world should just be privy to you. And I promise, I know I promised those shop, but I had to let you know that I, I've been working on this for quite some time, and it, it is a book that will immortalize, will immortalize you forever. Because again, without you, it would be a, a, a entirely different Christmas. So. I tell you, well, I like to get those flowers. You know me. I like flowers. <laughs> well, I am so very grateful um, for your words and your offering and for listening and being such a phenomenal student. You know, um, you just, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to share information. It's a whole nother thing to absorb that information and make it work for you. And so, you know, that's, that's part of your lesson and your teaching that you can now offer to others, uh, that you are able to take the lessons and, and move beyond all expectations <laughs> and, and really become even more effective uh, than the teacher. Um, so I'm grateful that our paths have crossed and that we're here together now. Thank you. You're very, very welcome. So without further ado, <laughs> tell the world and nation <laughs> about the, 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 the giant, <laughs> even though you probably said about five, five, but tell the <laughs> nation and the entire world about the, the colossal <laughs> figure that <laughs> is Karen Marie Mason, the floor is yours, Auntie. <laughs> them, them, some large, large words there <laughs> that you using. Um, I guess I would start out by saying that I am a mother first uh, before I'm anything else. Motherhood changed my life in so many ways and gave me the type of focus that I needed to be able to do the things that I was able to do and the things that I am doing now. So I am a mother, I'm an entrepreneur, uh, I'm a consultant, uh, and most recently I started my own label called Healing ATL. Um, but I think a lot of it started for me when I was a student at Syracuse University and it became clear to me that I wanted to be in the music business. And, and I think in retrospect now that if I was clear on what I wanted to do before I went to Syracuse or before I spent two years messing around at university, <laughs> um, I probably would have just skipped university altogether. I, I don't think that college is for everyone and I think that there's so much that you can learn on your own. Uh, there's so much that you can learn taking matters into your own hand online and there's so much you can learn from doing. But for me, my third year at Syracuse, it became clear that I wanted to be in the entertainment business. And so I started right there. I started doing a radio show on WAER in Syracuse. I managed a rock band and I started promoting shows. And you couldn't tell me nothing <laughs> as a college student. I was in heaven. And that's how you're supposed to feel when you know that you have arrived at the place where you want to be 
doing what you want to do. It should literally feel like heaven. And if you're out here doing stuff that does not feel like heaven, then you need to be doing something else. It should bring you joy. Now, I'm not saying it's not work, but you should feel like it's where you belong. And that's how I felt. And I barely went to class after that, honestly, because I had found where I wanted to be. And um, though I graduated from Syracuse, I didn't graduate summa cum laude or any of those laudies. I graduated, thank you, laude. <laughs> and I started... <laughs> I mean, everybody's different. When I tell my daughter that, she's like, Ma, you joking. What do you mean? You're so smart. You were my teacher, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, listen, you don't even know. Once I found out that I that I could make a way for myself in entertainment, nothing else really mattered. Um, so I graduated from Syracuse and I started my professional entertainment uh, career on a different level because even as a college student, I was a professional. I was a professional promoter. I was a professional manager, and, and I was I did my own radio show. So I was already a professional on that level. You know, that's the other thing. We we want to wait until something phenomenal happens before we say that we're that. No, you're that if you say that you're that. Even if you haven't done it yet, if in your mind you know that's what you're going to do, that you know that you're going to be a singer-songwriter, you know you're going to be an instrumentalist, you know you're going to be a music teacher, you know you're going to be in stages, well then claim that. Be that now. Don't wait right, for right. the deal, for the this, for the that. You are actually that now. And so I went on to, I started at uh, what was at that time CBS. Uh, CBS was divided into Columbia and Epic. And I started at Epic. And when I tell you I was in heaven part two, you know, this was at a time where they were releasing or preparing to release Sade's first release, Luther Vandross was signed to the label, Chris Jasper, Tina Marie, Michael Jackson. I mean, like I had walked into heaven, right? And on any given day, because I worked as the assistant to the head of promotions, I would be on the mm -hmm. phone with Michael Jackson's manager. I would see Sade wow. walking down the hall. I would be, wow. you know, speaking to Tina Marie. And I mean, wow. like, what, what could you ask for? Like, what more could you ask for? Like, heaven. Wow. You know, at that time, Michael Jackson was managed by Frank DeLeo. I would see Frank DeLeo, big, heavy Italian dude with a cigar, and like, you know, coming to the office. So I had found my way. And, and I, once I got a handle on what I was doing, as a um, an assistant to the head of promotions and what promotions did, I said, you know what, I'm going to stay here for a year and then I want to move on because at that point I knew what, now everyone knows what everything does, but back then you were still figuring out A&R, marketing, promotions, artist development, all of those things were new to me on a different level. So I knew that within a year, I wanted to move over to marketing and product management. I wanted to have my hands on the 
creation and the, the forward movement of artists from the inception and product management and marketing allowed me to do that. And I was so focused on that, that a year to the date when I said, I'm going to be here a year, I interviewed for a job as a marketing coordinator at Columbia Records. I got the job. And so my second wow. year in the CBS, which eventually became the Sony environment, I was now a marketing coordinator. I'm in heaven, part two. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You got Death Jam around the corner. You got Rough House, which was just signed as a label. You've got all the artists that were already signed to the label. And I was where I wanted to be. And, and I want to emphasize that because a lot that, in fact, all that has happened in my life was because it was driven by my sincere desire to do those things. Prayer, intention, intuition were all the tools that I used to arrive where I was. So within a few months, I became a product manager. I mean, things was just moving because I knew where I wanted to be. And I was the best at what I did. And I should say back when I was assistant to the head of promotion uh, at Epic, in addition to coordination and conferencing and speaking to managers and making his appointments and all of those things, I also was the best coffee maker that, that you could imagine. And I don't even drink coffee. You know, I, I, was, <laughs> I was the best at what I did because my intention was to be the best. And a lot of times we skip over what people might think are trivial or basic things. Getting coffee, make sure he's straight in his itinerary, make sure he didn't forget his, his, his file, make, you know, all of that. I set the intention to be the very best at all of those things. There's an adage that goes, you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And so if you're sloppy, on basic things, what do you think is going to happen when, when shit starts to bubble and things start to happen for yeah. you, right? Because you're too good to get coffee, you know what I mean? <laughs> or you're too good to, you know, to do whatever, you know. Later on, and I'll get back to this in a second, but later on, uh, as a part of my trajectory, I got very involved in film and television. I worked for Tyler Perry. I was a location manager. I got all the locations, the Medea House, all of these locations. But it also was not beyond me to pick up the garbage, to sweep the location if no one else was around or I didn't have an assistant around. None of those things were ever beyond me. I was doing all the things. I would never ask anyone to do anything that I wouldn't do. And I would never ask anyone to do anything that, that may be considered below them. It was not below me to pick up garbage. It was not below me to, to make sure the locations were ready for when Mr. Perry and everybody arrived. I did everything that I had to do, even though I was management and didn't have to. So I go back to Columbia. I'm a product manager now. And one of the first, okay, before I even got the Rough House label, I got a group called Surface. I don't know if you remember Surface. Um, what was that big record? that they had. Yes, yes, yes. Only you can make yeah. me happy. <laughs> that was one of my first, 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 first group. I later on got the Rough House account. No one wanted it because Def Jam was running everything at the time. And uh, no one saw any space for anyone else. 
you know, and here was this little label from Philadelphia really focusing and positioning itself as a hip-hop label. So they were like, give it to Karen. You know, ain't nobody care, ain't nothing really happen. And at the time, Rough House had Criss Cross, the Fugees, Chiba, Larry Lair, and probably someone else that I'm forgetting because this was a while ago. And they gave it to me because, one, I was the new kid on the block, but two, because Def Jam ran everything and no one had any high expectations for the label at the time. But Karen had high expectations for herself, all right? And Karen was going to get up in there and do the very best job that she could do. She was going to give her all to it. Not just because it was a rough house, but because the minute you say yes to something, well then it is your duty to give your all to it. If you say yes to motherhood, give your all to motherhood. If you say yes to your job, give your all to your, your duties at your job. If you say yes to marriage, then put your damn foot up in that marriage. And so they gave me rough house. People are like, ha, 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 ain't nothing getting ready to happen. Cypress Hill was the first, oh, Cypress Hill was the other group too. Cypress Hill was the first group out of that label deal that I started to work with. And literally people would laugh at me. I couldn't get on the agenda at the meetings. You know what I'm saying? Because they had so many other priorities. Ella Cruce, all these other things. Who cared about some group from the West Coast with a rapper that sounded nasally and they were Latino and, you know, it just wasn't much interest and I was like fine that's y'all but in me I was going to give my all so I went to work in terms of developing Cypress Hill as a group right developing their logo using their advocacy of cannabis remember this is years ago this is decades ago this is not now where cannabis is legal but they were then advocating for cannabis and I said okay let's let's put cannabis in the logo Let's put a leaf. Let's make it green. Let's send out rolling papers with oregano for the promo piece. Let's use this in every way that we can to position them in a way that is in alignment with who they are and what was important to them. And we did that. And we started to bubble. I remember throwing them in a van. Uh, that broke down several times so they can go across country and go to college radio stations and go to record stores and, and advocate for what they were doing musically, but also advocate for cannabis, right? And there were many times wow. that the label was not always in alignment with that, right? Mm -hmm. They weren't always in alignment with that. But I was clear on what I was doing, and so I would fight for them. I would fight to position them. I would fight to get them on the meetings. I would fight for a little budget so we can do a video. Because they, I, I fought to get money so we can do a release party. Because they weren't even interested in doing a release party. But remember what I said. If you decide that this is what you want to do and you know that you are in your lane, well then fight for what you think you should have. And I did that. And I got the basic tools that I needed coupled with the ideas that I had about how I would position them. And some of the other hip-hop artists now started to look up to them, not so much from the music side, but here was a group that was here outwardly advocating for cannabis. And so it made an automatic connection to the hip-hop world, even if people couldn't get with the music. As a result, eventually the music caught up 
with what they were doing politically and the statements they were making and things started to bubble. And I can tell you that what really helped to, to move that need was getting uh, their song, How I Can Just Kill a Man, in the Juice soundtrack. Because at that point, no one really knew them. We had built up a little regional vibe for them. People on the West Coast kind of knew them. But outside of the West Coast, we were still really working college radio, working retail, working the cannabis album, just consistently working it, working it, working it. And then Doug McHenry, uh, they had a song that was in this scene, and it didn't work out. And they were like, can we use this song, How I Can Just Kill a Man? I'm like, hell yeah, you can. <laughs> of course, you know, I had to get it cleared with management and everybody, but I saw it as an opportunity. And that song, where it was placed in the movie, really opened up doors for them and really began to increase, uh, help to increase their profile and position them. I had no issue getting on the meeting agendas anymore, right? Because now all of a sudden a group and a label that no one believed in was really starting to bubble, was really starting to happen. Right. So it was almost like, oh, Karen, what have you got to say today all of a sudden? Right. (laughs) You know, whereas before it was like, man, here she come again. She's going to be trying to force that stuff on us. But guess what? Their livelihood was in my hands. Their livelihood was in my hand. So you're damn right. I'm going to try to force. You're damn right. I'm going to be like, get them on the meeting. Uh, put them on the meeting agenda. You're damn right I'm going to ask for the money that I need to position them as an artist and as their advocate. What else would you think I would be doing here? Right? You so know, next came Chris started to bubble for them. Same I mean, thing. I think was now probably easily have sold their million million backwards at a time when groups like Brand Nubians and Ed OG and the Bulldogs and, you know what I'm saying, hip-hop was like prime right then. Nobody was trying to hear from these little boys. Like, oh, that's cute, Karen. You know what I mean? This is what, you know, pat on the back kind of vibe. Oh, that's cute, Karen. That's nice. That's nice. You know, you got them little boys, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when they first came through Rough House, it was an EP. And it was okay, but it didn't ever, it didn't blow me away. And I'll never forget this because uh, the A&R called me one day, and I didn't know that Jermaine Dupree was on the phone with us. And I'm talking to the A&R. And, you know, nothing probably would have changed except maybe the way I said it, but I would have said the same thing. And she's like, okay, what's up? We're not on the release schedule yet. What's going on? And I said, well, you know what? It's good. And, you know, I'm preparing some things. I'm getting them all together. I said, but we don't have a hit record on this. And then I hear Jermaine's voice in the background. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hey, Jermaine. <laughs> uh, we, still don't, we still don't have a hit record, okay? We need a hit record, okay? He went back to the studio, added a few more cuts, and Jump was one of the cuts that he added. I was like, okay, now we can do this, okay? Now we can get, we, now we can, now we on and popping. And so I went through the process of, of, of positioning them not as two hip-hop artists, because it would be too hard to position them and market them in, in that way at that time in hip-hop. 
So what I decided to do, and, and, and I share this with you guys because what you need to really be thinking about, and when I say you, I mean you the artist, you the mother, you the teacher, you the painter, you the singer, you the songwriter, you the instrumentalist. Figure out what's going to work for you. Figure out how you position yourself in a way that you are true to yourself. You're not compromising yourself. But you're not just saying, I'm an artist and I'm good. No, you're using the talents, the additional talents that you have to position yourself. So knowing that I couldn't compete with what was going on in hip-hop directly, I decided I would position them as a new fashion trend because they had already come to us with, with their pants backwards. And I have to say that because that's not something I was like, ooh, as a marketer, let's try this. No, they had already, Jermaine, they came to that. They walked up in Sony with their pants backwards. That was all part of their wow. their their piece. So I was like, what do I do with this? So what I said I would do, we took the most adorable pictures and we sent them to Ride On and Blackbeat and all the teen magazines at the time for pinups, positioning them as these two little boys uh, who came up with this new fashion statement called Crossed Out. So for the first six months of the campaign, that's all you saw. You saw their cuteness and you saw their their crossed out look. You didn't even know that they were artists at that point. And I did that because I knew that I needed to create a base of people who would be part of their foundation. And what better way to do that but by using the teen magazines that were read by young girls across America mm -hmm. that would see them and be like, oh, they're cute, and maybe rip it out and put yeah. it on their wall. So when wow. the music came later, they'd be like, oh, oh, that's them? Oh, what? So now I already had an army that I was already working with. An army of young girls who liked them because they thought they were cute and the crossed out look was interesting. But when they found out that they actually rhymed, it took it to a whole nother level. And now I can use that army of young girls as my street team to help position them the way that I needed to position them. And that's what we did. We, we just day by day, day by day, day by day, those team markets, going after those team markets. And things started to go okay, but they were a little slow. I'm going to be honest with you because people wasn't trying to hear from them. <laughs> like they wasn't, why, why I get all the people that ain't nobody trying to hear from? And you know what? I'm so, I'm so grateful for that because that's how you learn. That's how you grow. That's how you can break through the barriers. So now I got an army, I got a single, I got a video, I got a little little traction at radio. I'm on the agenda at all of the meetings with Donnie Einer, Tommy Matola, and all of the heads at Sony. I'm out here presenting, right? Because every time it was my turn to talk, I'm like, boom, 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 this going on, that going on. We in Blackbeat, we in this, and they're like, okay, okay, you know, because I'm, I'm there. I'm representing these artists, and I'm in 100, because this goes back to, don't half-ass do nothing out here. Ain't nobody got no time for half-ass behavior and half-ass activity and half-ass jobbing. Don't do it. 
if you're not going to give 100. So now I get things right. bubbling. So the next thing I did was I started, I created all these little postcards with the crossed out look, and I kept sending them to Rosie Perez, who at that time was the choreographer and the music booker for In Living Color. <sighs> Rosie would call me like, Karen, you know, what, what, what is this? I can't do her accent, but you know how Rosie talks. Like, why are you sending me this? Like, what? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, just stop already, practically, you know? But I would continue to send. And as if I had a little activity, I'd send her a little note. I would just continue to kind of be on her radar. So we have video, we got a little radio, we've got the look, we've got our little army, but we needed another piece. Rosie, I'm in touch with, I'm talking to Rosie, this is over months, right? So you, you, you got to be in this thing for the long run. Right, this is over a period right. of months and months, and I'm I'm speaking to Rosie, and she's not interested. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> she's she's yeah. straight up. She's not interested. Yeah, but she got EPMD. She got groups that she can book book. Who who what right. what is this, Karen? Right. Well, one day they had a booking, and it got canceled. She called me and said, "Can you have them out here tomorrow?" I went to Donnie, Sarah, Sarah Melendez, and I have to tell you about Sarah in a second. They gave me the money. Boom. We was in California the next day taping in Living Color. Wow. So now we've got a little bit of radio. We're still building at radio. It's going a little slow. We got our little street team. We got all the girls ready to do whatever we tell them to do. Call radio, request this song, whatever. We got our postcards. We got our crossed out look. And then we got them performing Jump on In Living Color. Not because she just loved them so much she wanted to do them. But because I started early. A lot of times people say, oh, Karen, how did you do all of this marketing? How did you Cypress Hill? How did you? I said, I started early. I started before it was even an idea that anybody would consider. How did you position wow. your artists at these conventions in that way? Because as soon as the convention was over last year, I started positioning my artists to perform next year. And after a while, those people just said, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. Before they even had their schedule together. They were like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll put them in. And before you knew it, my artists had prime spots everywhere. Not because I was such a genius, which, you know, there's a little bit of that too. But because I planned and, and I started while y'all was sleeping. While y'all was sleeping, I was like, oh, can we get them on here? Oh, Rosie, can we get them on in living color? And as much as she said no, you might have thought I would have given up. But nah, I'm giving 100. And I know something's going to work out. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know it's going to work out. And sure enough, when somebody canceled and I got them there the next day, they did, they performed Jump on in living color. It kicked in at radio. Video kicked in. Next thing you know, we got a number one single in the country for a group that people laughed at. You wow. see? All because you really just just kept going. Wow. I just I just kept going, and I was there to give give a hundred. Now I have to say that I could not have given a hundred without being properly trained in how to market and how to position your artist. And my basic training came from a lady named Sarah Melendez, who was senior vice president of marketing at Sony at the time. This woman opened up the coffers for me. 
taught me everything that she knew. You know, this whole fallacy of women in the workplace and not getting along or not sharing information. Sarah was not that woman. Sarah gave me the foundation of everything I needed to know about marketing and positioning an artist. And um, so, you know, I went on to, to do that there. And then I, I moved over to East West Electro Records uh, under Sylvia Rohn. And Sylvia, let me tell you, <laughs> I love Sylvia. Sylvia had called me for months. But I was so contented at Sony that I was like, mm, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Sony doubled my salary, gave me what I wanted. Of course, I had to fight for it. Of course, they said they'd never done that before and all this other stuff, which is, you know, could be true, could not be true, but it didn't, it didn't make me know, never mind. Here you got a label with artists that are now number one records in the country that you didn't even think could happen, that I was able to do it with minimum resources but with cooperation from all the different de departments at the record company and my own desire to make it happen. And y'all making all of that money, y'all better raise my salary. And not only did they raise my salary, but at the Sony convention, the worldwide Sony convention, they had me presenting. I rolled up to that podium in wow. front of a thousand people like I ran Sony. Now I know it was, you know, I'm clear that I didn't, right? So there was no, no dream world there. <laughs> But I walked out right. there representing myself, my race, my skills, my ability. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not here to play around yeah. with this thing. You know, and got a standing ovation after I finished presenting Cypress Hill and Chris Courts and, and all of these groups that y'all know y'all ain't believing. That y'all know y'all was annoyed when I, when I kept trying to bring them up at meetings. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so I went over to Sylvia uh, and became head of marketing, black music marketing, or what they called black music at the time, over at East West Electra, Cam, Gerald LeVert, Yo-Yo, Involve, uh, Tracy Chapman, Ziggy Marley, Buster Rhymes, Old Dirty Bastard. Uh, you know, I, I hardly remember some of these, this stuff, right, because I'm in a different space now. But all of that was under my jurisdiction. And... You know, honestly, Sylvia then and Sylvia now is still the only chairwoman of a major record company. She's now chairwoman uh, at Epic Records, where I started. But I worked with her until I had had enough. And I decided that I would want to go out on my own. But it really wasn't really about going out on my own. It was about being a mother. And I didn't think that I could be a great mother and a great executive. I just felt like something would suffer. So I made a choice on motherhood. <laughs> I chose motherhood. I, I left the and, and I love I love that I love that decision that you made. That just shows your commitment to really excel at whatever you're doing because you walked away from what was it, six figures? Mm-hmm. Easy. Well, here's the thing. I know I wanted to be a great mom. I didn't know if I would be, but I know that I, for me, it would be very difficult to be the exec that I was and to give my daughter 100. So I just made the choice that it would be my daughter. Now, someone else, it would be very different for. Someone else could do both. Great. I just felt as a new mother that I, I could not, and so I chose motherhood. I'm so excited that I made that choice. So I focused on motherhood and began taking on um, smaller clients as 
you know, um, as time went along. Uh, Goody Mob was one of my first independent clients. Soul Food, when they released the Soul Food album. And Bernard, who, um, Bernard Parks, who managed Goody Mob at the time, had never met me, had never, he may have heard of me, but I don't even know if he even had heard of me. But I sent him a proposal and I said, hey, listen, I love what Goody Mob is doing. I love the lane that they're carving out. I want to create another vertical for them. I want them to, to speak at colleges. I want to position them as, as uh, the authority on where they stand and what they know about Southern living and hip hop and, and their political ideas, etc. He said, sure, let's do it. And boom, they became my first client. And from there, I started working with Organized Noise. Well, I had already started working with Organized Noise at Electra. They had a group called Mista. They produced the Set It Off soundtrack, which I also product manage and marketed. They also produced In Vogue, one of a couple of In Vogue's biggest records. So I knew Rico and all of them really well. And one day I sent Rico uh, a group that I was working with, a couple groups. And at that time, Organized Noise were the producers of record. They had just signed a major right. production deal with uh, Interscope. And they liked what I sent them. They said, hey, we'll give you a production deal. Now, mind you, I had just left a major record company. I wanted to focus on motherhood, but I knew I needed income. But I knew I didn't want to have to leave my daughter every day and go somewhere and all this other stuff. So here I was with... Uh, Goody Mob is my client and a production deal with Organized Noise via Interscope, which gave me seed money and foundation money to stay my butt right there at home. And again, this goes back to intentions. What is it that you want? How do you want to do it? How do you see it manifesting? And being clear on those intentions. So I got the deal with Interscope and that allowed me to really not have to worry about money. <laughs> to be honest with you, while I was raising my daughter, uh, who I homeschooled. And I, this is all in New York. I moved from um, New York to Atlanta. And I chose Atlanta because I just wanted some place I could grow up, raise my daughter that was not as hectic as New York, not hearing sirens all the time, all of that. Though Atlanta's changing, you hear all that stuff here now. <laughs> But at the time, and I wanted her to be able to have a backyard that she could play in, et cetera. So I picked up, I moved to Atlanta, homeschooled my daughter, you know, doing well with homeschooling and, and just really loving the space that I was in, you know. And I say to all of you who are listening, you can create the ideal space that you want for yourself. You can have that. First, you got to believe that you can have it. And then you put the things in place to make it happen. So here I am, being a mother, raising my daughter, homeschooling her. She started a magazine called Black Girl Magazine. We're publishing magazines. You know, she's interviewing everyone. I just looked over some of the magazines the other day. She interviewed Prince. She interviewed Destiny's mm, yeah. Child. I, I forgot yeah. that she did all of this at, at 12 years <laughs> old. Like, it just didn't even register to me that. I'm like, Jordana, you got a Prince interview up in this magazine. She goes, yeah, my, you're, you know, like, it ain't nothing to her. But I'm like, well, wait, what? <laughs> when? How? You know. Um, and it, it got her on Oprah. And she was Teampreneur of the Year, Black Enterprise. She was, you know, she was a, l a little Teampreneur. And and I was her mommy. 
and I was in heaven. And during that time, I got a call from Kirk Burroughs. Kirk had started Bad Boy uh, Puffy. And then that broke off, and he was managing Mary J. Blige now. And he called me. He said, Karen, I need you. Everyone knows you're the best marketer in the business. I need you. And I said, well, you know, Kirk, I'm kind of on a different planet right now. I'm over here homeschooling, making soap. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you know, being like Susie Homemaker, like, what are you talking about? Kirk was like, please, I need you. And I was like. Guys, that is part one with Karen Marie Mason. Make sure you tune in next week for part two, the conclusion. But you got to tune in next week. And now it's time for moments to be inspired by. This is the segment of the show where I give inspirational quotes, real life events that help propel me to another level. On this segment of Moments to be Inspired by, I am privileged to share the same motivation that our president-elect, Joe Biden, shared. He said, to everything there is a season, a time to build, a time to reap, and a time to sow, and a time to heal. This is the time to heal in America. Nella Nation. Season 2, episode 12. It's a wrap. Guys, season finale part 1. Make sure you tune in next week to find out the conclusion of what Karen does. What decision does she make towards the iconic Mary J. Blood? But you gotta tune in next week. The indie fire for this show was here from the Through the Stages Volume 1. You can find that anywhere where music can be downloaded. And the artist, her name was Tin. The song was here. Very powerful, inspirational song. And of course, we had the interview with Cameron Marie Mason. Make sure you tune in next week for the conclusion of the season finale. We're going out with a bang, guys. I'd like to thank all of my international listeners. Just last week, we got a new country, South Africa. Thank you for tuning in. Guys, I love what I do, and you can expect season three to be even bigger and better, but I need your help. If you haven't shared this podcast, make sure you do. Get it to someone who you know will get value from it. Guys, I love you, but God loves you more. Let that sizzle in your spirit. Tune in next week for the conclusion of Karen Marie Mason's interview and find out what decision she made towards the iconic Mary J. Blige. This is Chris Nella. Season finale, part two, next week. I'm gone.